There's just so many different fintechs that are making it really easy for those that are underbanked or underserved to get access to financial services. I think RoboAdvisor really started with that because that was like, hey, I don't have you know $50,000, but if I have $500, I can start investing. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm Becca Heft, Sunrise Bank's Chief Brand Officer, and I am here with my colleague, Brian Toft, Sunrise Bank's Chief Revenue Officer. We are so excited to welcome Michelle Tran to the show today. Michelle, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And like I said, as we were prepping, I am so excited too. But before we get started, it's just a reminder for all of our listeners to stick around to hear our musical feature at the end of the episode. Each Next Gen Banker episode showcases one new artist from somewhere around the globe, representing a wide range of different genres. So be sure to check it out. Now let's hear a little bit about Michelle. Uh, She is passionate about all things fintech and wealth tech, and we're looking forward to hearing about those topics today. And she's a co-founder, a board member, an advisor, so many things going on. And we are going to ask her about all of that. And uh, with that, let's dive right in. Yeah, and I'm going to kick it off. So you have this just incredible, extensive background, Michelle, in finance, and you're currently head of enterprise sales at Vestwell. And I understand Vestwell um, really focuses in on providing the infrastructure for companies to to power 401k and savings programs. And I know also you're super passionate about fintech. Um, And it's really obvious from you just look at your resume on LinkedIn. It's just obvious from everything you've accomplished. So I just, you know, Brian and I were talking like, I just want to know, how did you first get involved in finance and fintech? It's not like always a first choice for, you know, the eighth grade student. <laughs> Definitely, I wouldn't say it's a first choice. Um, you know, when you're eighth grade too, you know, you want you want to be a rock star. You want to, you know, do something super cool. Um, I probably, you know, I wasn't 13 and saying, hey, I want to go work at BlackRock. Um, <laughs> I probably had no idea what BlackRock was. Um, you know, I'm a first generation immigrant. My parents are from Vietnam through China. My grandparents immigrated from China to Vietnam and then Vietnam to the States. And when you're typically a first generation immigrant, your your choices of what you do are sometimes limited in terms of, hey, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should go into something that's stable. Um so, you know, out of all those choices, you know, I can't stand blood. So doctor was not a route I was going down. But um, financial services was really interesting just from the economics perspective. Um, and full transparency, when I finished college, I wanted to travel, but I also wanted to work. I wanted to do both. And I had the opportunity to go work for Merrill Lynch in London. So I was like, yes, I'm going to take that because one, I get to, you know, I get to start my career I wasn't really interested in like backpacking, you know, kind of doing that thing. But I get to start my career, but I also get to do it from a really cool city that allows me to go to Italy on weekends or allows me to jump off to different places. And so that's how I really got my start in financial services itself. And, you know, I think I, I learned that there are many different facets of financial services and it's not just one thing. And I think that was one thing that we continue to tell women too through NYC FinTech Women is that. You know, sometimes when you start a career, you're super narrowly focused because you don't know what else is out there. 
So, you know, you should definitely explore, discover. Um, on the fintech side, um, that came, you know, a lot later. Fintech wasn't really a term, really, until mm-hmm. 2015 or so. Well into my career, um, I was in Hong Kong um, managing um, our distribution for global private banks, um, you know, working at BlackRock at the time with our iShares business. And truth be told, my husband was done with Hong Kong. So he's like, okay, how do we get back to the U.S.? Um, so, you know, approached my manager. And she's like, well, there's this great new thing happening in the U.S. And it's called robo-advisors. I'm like, what? What? The- uh- Who are these robo-advisors? And this was in, you know, 2014, 2015, when if you were anywhere within wealth services, wealth management, financial services, it was like robo-advisors are going to take over the world. Didn't quite happen. Um, but from our viewpoint, really wanted to see, okay, well, you know, having someone figure out what do we do with robo-advisors from a BlackRock perspective. And so that got us um, back to the U.S., but also got me really embedded in FinTech. Um, so much so that, like, our first meeting with a robo-advisor, I show up in, like, my full suit because that's what I'm used to. And the guy shows, shows up in jeans and a, and a hoodie, right, because that's what you do as a tech founder. Um, and a Patagonia vest. <laughs> yeah, probably a Patagonia vest. Too. Yes. So I walk into my first meeting completely out of place. I was like, okay, I need to rethink that wardrobe uh, a bit. But so that's how that's how I got my foray into fintech. Awesome. There have been uh, a lot of changes over the years in people and how they're investing and saving their money and. Uh, you know, being involved in wealth tech, I guess I would call it with Vestwell. What are some of the trends that you're seeing today in that space, wealth tech or even 401k investing? What are you seeing there? One, I mean, the the biggest trend is that we just see so much more of a focus from the employer side on offering retirement options. And a couple of different reasons why is that one, you know, with the turnover and the great resignation that we're seeing over the past year, what are employers doing to, to retain new employees or existing employees, or what are employers doing to make themselves more attractive to candidates? Um, and 401k is a, is a big part of that. Um, the other piece is that you also just have, you have a lot of regulatory fire underneath employers right now too, who say, hey, hey, if you're in California and you're a company and you have five or more employees, you have to offer a retirement option. Um, so it's nothing like, you know, government to say, you got to do something. Uh, But we do see just, you know, a lot of big companies, big financial institutions say, hey, we see the trend. How do we get in market? And it's kind of like what happened with robo-advisors back in the day, right? So they started going direct to consumer. And then they really quickly figured all these big financial institutions, banks, advisors, all want to be able to offer great technology that gets to these consumers too, right? It's an extension of their own business. And so that's what we're seeing on the retirement side, too. We're seeing a lot of these big groups, big insurance companies, big wealth managers to say, okay, we see the same trend in the small business space that you do, but we want it branded us. We want to run the investments. We want it to look like it's us and not you. So how can we do that? And so that's one really cool um, um, trend that we're seeing and, and primarily a reason that I joined Vestwell too was because this is a trend I saw within the robo-advisor space when I was at Apex and Apex does that for wealth management, right? They were able to open accounts quickly, get people invested, but fully in the experience and in the brand of a larger institution. And so we're just, we're doing it again in the retirement space. And what's really cool to work with these big companies because 
at the end of the day, they have they have the client, they have the trust. And so how do we help them grow their business? Yeah, we've seen that a little bit too with some of the employer channel options through our fintech partnerships that we have some consumer lending or employee benefits in that way. Uh, one called True Connect, where people can get a loan from their employer, essentially. I mean, it's not from their employer, but it appears that way. Um, and there's a trust factor there. People do typically trust their employer. And um, so, you know, you, when you have a white labeled 401k option, for example, through an employer or someone that someone recognizes, you even see that with like Google, Apple, Amazon, you know, some of those brands are trusted, are some of the most trusted brands in the country. Um, so that trust is such a big factor. Shifting to um, some of the co-founding you've done, um, one is Dreamers and Doers. Uh, my understanding is focused on women entrepreneurs. And then you're a board member of Take the Lead Women about gender parity and leadership and equity for all is such a big piece of what we do at Sunrise and try to promote um, both internally and externally. Um, with with some of that work in that space, um, how have you seen, because we're focused on, you know, banking and fintech and all that, in terms of equity, whether it's gender equity or other equity, what have you seen technology be able to do when it comes to changing the game, providing opportunities? Um, in, and financial inclusion is a big part of why fintech exists. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, fintech has done such a tremendous job of diversifying who these big companies can go after are, are, and also the services and the financial services that are available to different parts of the population, right? So you have... You know, you have neobanks who focus on certain segments. There's Cheddar that focuses on Asian Americans. There's Kinley that focuses on Black Americans. There's Daylight that focuses on LGBTQ. Um, and the reason why they are doing that is because there's different sets of problems each of these populations are trying to solve or that they face, right? So, you know, for example, LGBTQ, like if they, for example, wanted to adopt a kid, then what type of financing comes with adoption? Mm. And yep. so you can have a very specific conversation about that, where if you try to perhaps do that with, you know, total example, but like Citibank was a huge national bank, you know, how easy is it for you to do that? Whereas, you know, you go to a new bank that really understands what you're trying to accomplish. Um, even so you have, um, you have firms like Propel, which is really helping, you know, kind of get access to like food stamps and things like that. Um, so there's just so many different fintechs that are, are making it really easy for those that are underbanked or underserved to get access to financial services. I, mean, I think RoboAdvisor really started with that because that was like, hey, I don't have, you know, $50,000, but if I have 500, I can start investing. And it's not just for those that have you know, $50,000 or more or even higher, or I can buy, you know, $50 of Apple, even though it costs 164 right now, um, which is kind of fun. There's an a app called Stockpile. So I started two accounts for my sons and now they're they're like, oh, mommy, can we buy Minecraft? I was like, actually, you can. <laughs> oh, they can only, so they, I they only bought like $15 worth, but to them, you know, that's a big deal. But it also gets just them thinking, yeah. um, you know, how where does my money go? What happens yeah. to it? Both the upside and the risk, right? I think like Microsoft felt a little bit after they invested, they're like, oh, we lost money. I'm like, yeah, it's not worth 15 bucks anymore. 
Um, so, you know, I think fintech itself is doing a lot, specifically for women, there's been a, um, a lot of focus too on like, what are these crowdfunding platforms for women? Um, there's iFundWomen, which you can um, focuses on women-founded companies and you can crowdfund them. So you have like $10 and you find one that you like, you can help get them off the ground. And that's really cool, right? Because actually... Um, VC money for women, institutional VC money for female founders is at an all-time low. Um, it's really sad. It's like under 2%. Actually, last year was a record funding year. I think it was like something like $330 billion. And it fell from 2020 at like 2.60% to 2% in 2021. And so last time I checked, we were a little bit over 50% of the population. Um, but yet we only get 2% of the funding. So, you know, how can we provide more money for all these different platforms? You know, and all of that is just a perfect segue to my uh, next question. Um, but first, you know, growing up you know, and going to, you know, high school, college, graduate school, banking and finance wasn't necessarily, I would say, top of mind for me specifically. And um, as I've grown up in the in industry, I think it's been interesting, especially as a female leader uh, sitting on the executive team, is that for me, I didn't have uh, the opportunity to see um, another female leader in the banking or finance industry. But what you're doing, Michelle, really inspires me because you have co-founded the New York City FinTech Women, which is a group of more than 8,000 members uh, just focused in on empowering women in fintech. And so I have to admit, you know, I'm the super fan and I've been watching you grow this group over time. And so I just have to know, like, what's the story behind this? How did you get this started? Well, first, you're making me blush. So like, <laughs> it's, I'm blushing. Um, so one, just to your point in terms of like representation, that's totally it. You don't like you, you have to see people who look like you who kind of have fit your profile doing things that you want to do. And it, it spans everything from race to seniority to things like being a mom. I'm a mom of four kids, which is, you know, coming from New York in the Bay Area. That's like a crazy, ridiculous number. Um, but like we got to normalize some of that stuff. Right. You got to talk about the fact that I have kids and, you know, it's burned me in the past that I've talked about kids, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, but so how we started really was, um, you know, I frankly, I was in a meeting um, Well, I was, you know, one of my roles, leading a client meeting, leading a sales pitch. And um, the room was full of guys. It was all all men, which is fine. I'm you know, very used to that. The problem was I had someone who continued to interrupt, who continued to, you know, give the pitch right after I gave it. And so and it was like everyone else in the room recognized it, too. Um, and so it's just like this frustration point I had. Uh, and that accumulated from the fact that I was going to a thousand fintech events and there weren't a lot of women or I was going to a ton of women in tech events and I'd have to hone in on, you know, the 10 people or ask everyone it's fintech because I think there is power and having a community that's really focused on the same conversation and same goal. Um, so really, you know, started it. I, I paid $80 to meetup.com and started a, a meetup group. And I said, hey, ladies, let's all meet at a bar on Tuesday. Um, as you guys from New York know, when it rains on a weekday, you don't get a lot of people out. Um, and it happened to rain that Tuesday, but we got 16 women and that's how it started. I don't even think that bar exists anymore. It's somewhere in the flat iron. Um, but that's how it started. And that's how I found my co-founder too, you know, Sasha Pilch, who came up to me 
you know, she was brand spanking new from Australia, was working at a fintech called Quovo, which was acquired by Plaid. And she was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, are you building this thing? Can I help you? I was like, I don't know what you're, what are we building? I don't know. Um, but we quickly had a number of women come out of the woodwork who were like, great, let's, let's all get together. Because there's, you know, you got to lean on each other, build your own personal board. Um, you have to, you want to lean on each other, not just for, like, you know, career aspirations and goals and mentoring and sponsorship, but professionally, right? Like you have to be able to have a network to say, hey, I have this great deal coming up. You know, who can you refer me to or who do you know or are you interested? Right. So, you know, within our careers, really leaning on each other to propel our careers as well. You know, you said something that really stuck out to me um, because when I talk to my fellow women colleagues, we always talk about the idea is that you can't be what you can't see. It just makes it that much harder. But when you start, you know, paving that road, when you start showing the younger generation what they could be, the possibilities are endless. And so my next question is really around women and women roles in fintech since you started this group. And what was the year you started it? Uh, late 2017. Okay. So it's been a few years in, in existence. What barriers are you seeing right now? I mean, I think there's we've seen a lot of growth from my perspective. I've seen a lot of growth um, from just fintechs and banks and women's roles. But what barriers do you see uh, that women still face in the fintech industry? Um, one, I would say, is um, firms being intentional about hiring women and wanting real parity within their employees. Um, you know, one thing I always tend to hear, and this is the reason why we started hashtag hire her, which is our job board, was, hey, you know, we don't have a lot of women candidates. We think it's a pipeline issue. Oh, it might be nice to have one female here. Um, and it's like, you have to be super intentional from, from the CEO and on down, and you have to, to be vocal about it about making sure that there's diversity within um, within your company. Like it's not, and it's not, you know, female gender diversity is the biggest one, but like there's so many different areas of diversity that you need to lean into. And it's being really focused on that because like the biggest thing that, that gets me is like, everyone's like, oh, well, I don't have enough candidates. I don't have enough, they're just not there. I'm like, they're there, trust me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're, there. we're ready. Like we want those jobs. We wanna help out. We wanna have impact. You just gotta make it visible. Um, and you have to be ready to work for it, too, to find those candidates. So that's one of the bigger barriers. Um, the other one, too, again, I think it's the network. We have, thankfully, a lot of um, male senior leaders who come to us and say, hey, I'm starting this thing. I'm looking for a female co-founder. And can you help us? Because I don't know any. I don't know any females. Um, I don't know any technical females or I don't know any you know, female business leaders. So that's that's a huge step for that person to say that, right? And say, okay, I'm just not going to lean into my usual network and pull someone there. I'm going to reach out and say, okay, I'm being very intentional. Again, back to that intentional thing. So I think it comes down to just making sure that, you know, those roles are, are visible. People are being super intentional about wanting to hire and then taking those steps. Okay, Michelle, last question for you today. And as the podcast name suggests, we look to the future and what the next generation of banker looks like. So we wanted to ask you, what do you think the next gen banker looks like? The next gen banker is not in an office. The next gen banker may be sitting in Portugal or in Bali, but yet working on clients 
um, if they are allowed to regulatory wise. Um, but then the next gen baker is thinking, you know, very creatively about how to get to their client, right? It's not the standard, you know, or New York, the standard kind of New York power play, but there's a lot of, you know, really great areas to find opportunities. Um, and so it, next gen banker is going to be very outside the box. Maybe it's that, you know, skater kid who finds an opportunity in something or, you know, they're just not going to fit a mold and they're going to be vocal about that. Michelle, thank you for being on the show today and sharing your story with us. You're certainly an inspiration for me, for all of us, and for the future generation of finance and fintech leaders. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me, but also having this conversation uh, so people know that that we're out there and we're ready, we're ready to make a big impact. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Vaults. Vaults is a project created by guitarist, producer, and artist Ellie Puckett. Puckett lives in Los Angeles and has toured with Maggie Rogers and Lord. Here is All Over You by Vaults. All Over You by Vaults. Find more of Vaults' music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, just email David at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time.